Good morning. Am I on? Yeah? My name's Dan, for those of you who don't know me. And this morning on Good Friday, we're going to be talking about, as you may expect, death to life. We're going to talk about three things. First, we're going to talk about the king. And then we're going to talk about a curtain. And then we're going to talk about the beginning of something beautiful. But first, I want to tell you a little story. A story that I see play out over and over again when I watch my kids playing. And generally, what will happen is Imogen or Maya or both of them together will be playing with maybe with their Barbies in their Barbie house, or it could be with their ponies, or whatever it happens to be. There might be a school involved. There's something along the lines. But they have a picture in mind of how that story is going to play out. And they, they, they negotiate that kind of together because they're kind of on the same page. They have this idea that the story is going in this direction. And then inevitably what happens is their brother, Isaiah, comes along, generally armed with Garmadon. Now, for those of you who don't know Garmadon, Garmadon is uh, from the TV series called Ninjago, and they've recently made a movie out of it. Uh, Garmadon has four arms. From his song, this is a line from his song, having just two arms was lame, so I grew two two more and I changed the game. Now I've got four ways to punch you in the face. This is Garmadon. This is Garmadon. A classic line from the movie as well is when his son, Lloyd, is complaining to him and getting upset at him for ruining his childhood. Garmadon's response is, how could I have ruined your childhood? I wasn't even there. So Garmadon comes into this story. So it might be at the Barbie house, they may have a school, it may be a home, it might be the kitchen. Garmadon comes in and all of a sudden, all of this expectation that Isaiah brings into the story takes it on a very different trajectory. He wants, and he generally starts like this, just pretend that, just pretend, just pretend that Garmadon comes along and smashes this. Just pretend that Garmadon comes along and breaks this. The girls, of course, are devastated because their expectations are leading in a very, very different direction. Isaiah's expectations are leading in this direction. And we have this collision of what their expectations are for where this story is going and how this story is going to play out. And there's this collision. But there's also an opportunity. Sometimes there's this opportunity where they actually listen to one another and, and somehow... It's a, it's a mystery to me too. Somehow the stories merge and they actually play together nicely. Most of the time the collision ends in tears and someone running out of the room, possibly someone punching someone. But sometimes they're able to see past their own expectations and see that there's an opportunity for something different and something new. But I think that we do this in our life all of the time as well. We have expectations about how a story or our story is going to play out And then something happens. Something changes that trajectory. I see this in myself. Even in just maybe a day, I have an idea about how a day is going to go. Something comes along and it changes the trajectory of that day. And along comes disappointment and other things with that. I think that we see this in in everyone's story, but certainly in our own story. You may have expectations about how your life should go and your relationships should go. You may have expectations about how your job should go, and it doesn't necessarily measure up. 
But sometimes I want to argue that because of the expectations that we bring to our story, we miss an opportunity for something new to happen. We miss an opportunity that maybe something different is happening here. And so the king, the king, you think you guys have expectations. The story of Israel is loaded up with all of this expectation for the coming king, the Messiah. And all of their songs tell about this person, all of their stories. They celebrate and they wait with anticipation, expecting that this story, when this guy arrives, is going to play out in a certain way. And when Jesus arrives on the scene, there is excitement. That anticipation seems to be realized. For some, they're going, the Messiah is here. This guy, this is finally happening. This is actually going to happen in our time, in our life. Our ancestors have talked about it. Our parents have talked about it. We have waited for it. And that day is actually finally here. All of these anticipations, the social expectations, because at the moment, we have Romans that we have to pay taxes. We have to give our money to another kingdom, to another empire. We have Roman soldiers in the streets controlling what we do and what we don't do and being violent, among other things. There's all of these expectations and all of this political expectations. And often what we do is we look back into that story, and even the disciples have all of this expectation. We look back into that story and we go, you guys are idiots. Do you not see this coming? We see the rest of the story. And we also don't have all of this heaped up expectation of how this story is going to play out. And, and we think, you guys, are you thick? Do you not see that something different is going on? In Matthew 20... Jesus' disciples come to him, James and John and their mother. They come to Jesus and they say, when you're in glory, can we have a seat at your left and a seat at your right? Would you grant them to my son? Is how the mother expresses it in Matthew. This is an incredibly loaded political expectation that Jesus would march into Jerusalem take over, he would become the new king, and then what they're asking for is, we know you're going to be the king, you're going to be number one. What we want, can we be number two and number three? Can we be the second and the third in command? There's all of this political expectation about what's going to happen when Jesus goes into Jerusalem. They think that there's going to be a kingdom like the other kingdoms that they've seen, like back before their frame of reference is backwards to David to other kings when things were going well we had a kingdom we had a king we had these things that were going on leading up to this moment and all of this expectation when this king would come on the scene we want the seat at your left and we want the seat at your right we want to be in power and honor with you and then the very next chapter we step on to chapter 21 into Palm Sunday, and Jesus is entering the city. Like, this is actually happening. This story is so loaded up with political expectation. We may miss it, but this is actually a really, really clear picture to those who are Jewish, but also those to, who are Roman. 
This is how a king enters the city. And we might think, oh, come on, guys, it's on a donkey. But that actually is an important part of the story as well. A donkey is an animal and a symbol of peace. This is not a war animal. And we go, don't you see that this is a peaceful kingdom? But the thing is that that story in itself, the donkey, is a reference to Zechariah. And they have a donkey and they have peace in this story that the Messiah will come and he will come riding on a donkey and there will be peace. But if you read on a little bit in that story, God violently purges out their enemies. So there'll still be violence in that story. There'll still be the same, more of the same. God has done it before. Our story tells us that God came violently and killed everyone. This story is the same. We look at it and we go, come on, it's a donkey. It's going to be peaceful. It's going to be a different kind of kingdom. You guys just don't get it. To be honest, I think if we were in their shoes, we wouldn't get it either. If we had all of that expectation heading towards that story, heading and waiting and singing and telling stories about this coming king, because our frame of reference is the old kingdom, the old way, the old thing, And sometimes, sometimes the old thing needs to die so that something new will come along. Sometimes the old king needs to die so that we can realize actually what is going on is a much bigger type of kingdom, a much bigger idea. The old way was very exclusive. It was about us. We are the ones who are in. The new way needs to get so much bigger than that. It needs to break out of that. It is more open. It is more inclusive. The old ideas and our expectations need to die so that we can see that actually something new, something different, something bigger and more inclusive is actually going on here in this story. So there's all of these political expectations. There's all of these social expectations. But there's also, tied into this story of this coming king, there's so many spiritual expectations. And to talk a little bit about the spiritual expectations, I want to tell you a little about the temple. The temple was the center of Jewish society. And even a place of prominence geographically. It was high up on a hill. You could see it when you're heading into Jerusalem. It's a place of importance. Interesting thing about the temple is it had a very big wall all the way around it. And only gates that you could come through so that we can stop people who aren't supposed to go into the temple from coming in there. And then if you happen to be one of those people who were able to go into the temple, then there was all these other separations and segregations. There's the court of the Gentiles, which I find really actually interesting. Gentiles essentially means anyone else who's not us. There's us, we're the important ones, Gentile, anyone else. Now, the interesting thing is that they have a space in their temple for everyone else. So they can say, hey, our God is definitely worth worshipping. So you can come in, but just stay down the back and don't get in our way. Because we're the important ones. Our God is really important. You can worship him, but just, just do it there out of the way. If you get a little bit further, there's all these other separations. There's the court of women. There's the court of men. And then if you go a little bit further, you run into another wall. And inside that wall is the sanctuary. And now, it's also split up. Only priests are allowed to go in here. So only the very select, the top of the bunch, we're special people as Jews, but then there's an elite, more elite 
group of people who can go inside there. This place is called the holy place. But then there's another step further. If we take one more step, it's actually into the most holy place, or the holy of holies. And now the holy place was separated from the most holy place, not by a wall, but by a curtain. There was a curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place. And the idea was that God dwelled in there, behind the curtain. And the curtain was to stop us going in, and it was also to stop God coming out, in a sense. That God was in there, we couldn't go in there. Now, the only person who could go in there was the high priest. But only once a year, once a year, could someone go behind that curtain. So there's all of this spiritual expectation for this king. There's all this spiritual expectation for the temple. And then we come to Good Friday and the king dies. This is not part of the script. This is not the expected way that it's supposed to go. The king is crucified. In Matthew 27, verse 51, it actually talks about that moment. It says, Jesus breathed his last. At that moment, the temple of the curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. The curtain that separated everything else from God and God from everything else was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, there's two ways that I find really exciting that we can think about the way that this curtain is torn. And, and one of the ways about this curtain being torn at this moment when Jesus dies and the significance of it is that there was all of these separations and all of this segregation that stopped, that had this hierarchy. This new thing that's going on once the curtain is torn is that there is no more separation. There is no more hierarchy. There is nothing else in between us and God as Jewish people is the beginning of it. But then even more so, even further than that, as a Gentile, I too can have access to God. The curtain is torn and I can get access to God. This is a bigger idea of God. This is a bigger idea of the temple. This is a bigger idea of the way that God will interact with us. It's more open, more inclusive. There's a second way that some people talk about the way that this, this curtain is torn and what happens. The curtain is torn and we see inside and there's nothing there. It's empty. The Holy of Holies is empty. We've been looking back to a time when God dwelled in his place with his people, that's what would happen. God would be there and amazing things would happen. But when all of your expectation and all of your loaded up ideas about things are happening, maybe, just maybe, you'll miss that God is already doing amazing things bigger and beyond any temple or any idea that we would have to contain him within and behind God needs to explode out of that space in our minds because we do the very same thing. We think that God fits into this little space behind this curtain and he does his thing there. And if he just dwells there, then, then it's going to be okay. 
But that's the old way. God wasn't there because he's already on the move. He is already doing amazing things in and through his people. We come to Good Friday and God dies. Jesus dies. There is all of this expectation of this king who would come. And some of the expectation of the king who would come, and all kings, to be honest, is that the king would fight. The king would purge out the Romans. The king would show his power. And, and, and our understanding of that generally is that the more powerful person gets their more powerful weapon and they take on the other enemy and they show them how powerful they are. They get their best weapons, whatever it is. That's that expectation and Jesus dies and dies on a cross. This is a complete symbol of the power of violence, the power of that kind of kingdom. The Romans used this as a symbol of fear, symbol of violence if you don't like us and what we're about we'll do this to you and we'll place a prominence so other people can see this is a symbol of violence this is a symbol of terror this is a symbol that says we are the powerful ones now what you would expect is for a king to show their most powerful weapons and work in that kind of way and it's really interesting because jesus in matthew 26 51 he says to his disciples, after Peter attacks one of the guards coming to get him with a sword, he says to him, do you not think that if that's the way that it was going to go, it would not have already gone that way, essentially? He says, don't you think that I could have called 12 legions of angels to come down here and purge the Romans, to get rid of that? See, this king, the king of kings, was doing something different. He did have his sights on his enemy, but his enemy was not the Romans. His enemy was much bigger. His enemy was death. He had his sights set on death itself. But then even still, this is an unexpected way that he goes about this battle. Because as I said, the most powerful one gets the most powerful weapon, whatever it happens to be of the day, and they attack the other one. Instead, the tactics of this king, the king of kings, he actually lets death throw everything at him he essentially says give us your best shot and it is the most violent and horrible way to die this king's tactics are so different so unexpected it is no wonder that people didn't know what he was talking about or who he was it's no wonder that they missed it Sometimes the king needs to die for the new thing to be able to come along. The thing is, death looks like the end. And it might be in our story, wherever there is death, it feels like the end, it looks like the end, and it hurts like it's the end. But the king has conquered death. And while it looks like the end, this actually may be the beginning of something beautiful. This actually may be the beginning of something. In conquering death, he's starting something new. 
What happens, though, when something dies and is transformed back to life is there is a transformation. It never looks the same on the other side of death as it did before. Sometimes we're expecting just exactly the same thing to come back. But we know if we've experienced death and we've experienced resurrection, the rising up that happens is a transforming process that actually makes and looks so completely different to where we began. We are transformed. Our lives are transformed and it looks incredibly different. All of our expectations about what that was going to look like don't measure up anymore. And so you may in your life be experiencing death right now. Maybe someone close to you has died. And maybe, maybe, maybe something new is actually going to begin through that process. It's so hard to see it in the moment. But I believe, because Jesus conquered death, that actually death is not the end, but it's actually maybe just the beginning of something beautiful. You may be not experiencing death. Maybe you're just in your relationships. What needs to die is you're manufacturing energy for an idea about that thing that doesn't measure up. And our idea about that thing has to die for new life to be able to come into that. For new life to spring forth, the old has to die. Sometimes the old thing has to die for the new to come. Sometimes the old king has to die for the new kingdom to come. Sometimes the old has to die for something beautiful to rise up. I'm going to ask the team to come up. And as we come to a time of communion, there's tables at the back and there's tables at the side. In a moment, we're going to go there. And by go there, what I'm saying is that we actually, at Easter, in remembering this, we go into death. All the way into death. Into the death in our lives, into the death in our stories, and we grieve and we mourn. But then we come to this table and we look up. We look up and we celebrate this death because we realize that this death is not actually the end, that this death is actually the beginning of something beautiful. This death is not the end. And so in your own time, I encourage you to go there and celebrate. And as I said, go all the way in to death, but then look up because the king has come, a curtain has torn, and something beautiful has begun.